Daniel chapter number two. And we started this series a couple of weeks ago that we have entitled Thriving in Babylon, how we can live godly in a godless world, how we can uh, be an influence in the world around us. And we want to be an influence. We want to uh, be able to share the light of the gospel with this world around us. But it is a dark world. Uh, It is a godless world. And so how do we do that? And I believe that Daniel is a roadmap. It's a, it's a handbook for how godly people, godly people, godly people uh, can live uh, godly in a godless world. And so uh, we're in Daniel chapter number uh, one today, and we'll come to that in just a minute. Uh, but let me just, for uh, sake of review, Uh, remind us where we stand with Daniel from a couple of weeks ago. We said that Daniel uh, and uh, several of his friends have been taken captive by the nation of Babylon. Uh, God has allowed Israel to be taken captive because of their disobedience, because of their sin and rebellion. And so now they are uh, in Babylon. Uh, Daniel has been taken uh, 700 miles away to Babylon. We would classify him as a victim of human trafficking. Uh, He's taken to Babylon for cultural re education and indoctrination. Uh, As soon as he gets there, he is uh, given gender reassignment surgery. He's removed from a godly world and godly influence and godly people and godly teaching uh, and godly values and placed in a godless world uh, into a godly, godless family, uh, being taught godless values and godless ideologies. And so, as we look at Daniel, uh, two weeks ago, uh, we looked at part one, how Babylon is trying to influence us, and how Babylon was trying to influence Daniel. And uh, if you weren't here, or you haven't heard that, or you need a refresher, I'd encourage you to go uh, listen to it. We've got uh, our our podcast, all of our lessons recorded, uh, Driven Student Ministry, and you can find that Apple, Spotify, Google, anywhere. Uh, I'd encourage you to go back and listen to that, because today is part number two. So if you didn't hear part number one, you're cheating. You're just jumping in ahead. Uh, Just kidding. Uh, And so this is Daniel's strategy to influence Babylon uh, because God has called us, God has called the Christian to be in the world, but not of the world. He's called us to be an influence in this world. He's called us to be salt and light. Uh, Jesus said, you're salt of the world, you're the light of the world, uh, to make a difference in the culture and society around us with the gospel of Christ. And we said last week, uh, or two weeks ago, in order to make a difference, we must be different. We must be different than the culture around us. And so, before we look at Daniel, uh, I want to set the stage, and I want us to, to consider four different approaches that believers, that Christians can take in regards to the world around them. Four different ways that a Christian can have a relationship with the world around us. Now, uh, I believe that the Bible teaches and that Jesus teaches that we have been called out of this world to still live in this world in order to reach this world with the gospel. We've been called out of this world to still live in this world to reach this world for the gospel. And so uh, we're going to look at uh, some of these. Uh, Look, first of all, at Daniel chapter number 1. And look at verse number 17, and let's again set the stage of where Daniel is. Daniel is, he's got a strategy, he wants to influence the culture around him, not just endure it. It says, as for these four children, God gave them knowledge and skill and all learning and wisdom, and Daniel had understanding in all visions and dreams. Now at the end of the days that the king had said he should bring them, then the prince of the eunuchs brought them in before Nebuchadnezzar. And the king communed with them, among them all was found none, like Daniel, 
Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah. We know those are the Hebrew names for Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. Therefore stood they before the king. And in all matters of wisdom and understanding that the king inquired of them, he found them ten times better than all the magicians and astrologers that were in his realm. And Daniel continued even unto the first year of King Cyrus. So Daniel and his friends have a strategy of how they are going to influence Babylon. So let's understand how we should approach this world. How do Christians uh, approach the world? First of all, the first approach that people take towards the world is that of separation. Separation. I believe that's there on your handout. The first approach is separation. Uh, an extreme example of this uh, in our world today would be an Amish or a Mennonite culture, just completely removing yourself uh, from all influences of culture and society and uh, in, in being extreme about it. But someone who has the approach of separation towards the world uh, is removed completely from any sinful influences. Now, let me pause right here and say I do believe that a Christian should, should practice separation. The Bible calls us to practice separation uh, from sin, uh, from the influence and the ideology of the world. Uh, first or Second Corinthians says, come out from among them and be ye separate, touch not the unclean thing. So I think that we are to be separate from engaging in the practices, from believing uh, the ideologies of the world. Uh, but some people can take it to extreme, which which means it includes removing themselves from any relationships with lost people. Uh, a Christian who practices a separation approach from the world completely has no meaningful relationships with people who need Christ. No meaningful relationships with people who need Christ. Their motto towards people who are lost is stay away. Stay away. They're like, you know, in some old horror movie, they think their wooden cross is going to keep sinners away. They hold it out. Stay away. Stay away. You don't talk like me. You don't look like me. You don't dress like me. You don't think like me. You don't uh, eat like me, drink like Stay away. Stay away. That's their motto towards sinners. Can I remind you that Jesus did not call his disciples to go huddle together and hide from the world around them? He did not do that. When they tried to do that in the book of Acts, he sent persecution so that they would scatter and take the gospel to the rest of the world. Uh, Jesus has, he said, so send I you to the disciples. In fact, in his prayer in John 17, 15, before he goes to the cross, he's praying to God for his disciples, for you and I, his followers. He says, I pray not that thou shouldest take them out of the world. Jesus says, God, I don't want you to take them out of the world. I don't want you to remove the soul. I don't want you to remove the light from the world, but that thou shouldest keep them from the evil. I want you to keep them from the influence of the world, but I want you to keep them in the world to influence. Verse number 18, as thou hast sent me into the world, even so I have also sent them into the world. So Jesus has sent you and I into the world to be an influence. The, the thing is that we assume that if we do not practice separation, that we are practicing the other extreme, which is number two, and that is assimilation. You have separation, completely removing yourself from the world. Then you have assimilation, which is, again, the opposite. It's embracing the influence of the world, thinking that that's the way to reach people. And that's not true. Remember, we said uh, two weeks ago that as we read through the book of Daniel, there are three types of people. There are the people of God, there are the people of Babylon, and there are the people of God who act Babylonian. Those are the confusing people. Those are those who have assimilated. That's the majority of the people.
Joshua and his three friends at da- in Daniel chapter number 1. They assimilate. Only Daniel and his three friends were the ones that took a stand in Daniel chapter number 1. Everybody else tried to assimilate into the culture. Um, to reach people, the idea is to be just like them. To talk like them. Uh, to do what they do. To go where they go. To accept their common ideologies. Uh, to, to use their hashtags, to fly their flags, to uh, embrace uh, their, their commonly observed practices. You know, when in Rome. Uh, that's, that's assimilation. That's, that's also a wrong approach uh, towards the world. Uh, many modern churches have adopted this mindset. They believe to get the world into the church, we've got to first bring the world into the church. Uh, we've got to make the church look like the world to attract the world. And can I remind you that God has not called the world to come into the church. God has called the church to go to the world. Big difference. Assimilation is wrong. Uh, we believe that we should drink what they drink, laugh at what they think is funny, do uh, what I shouldn't do with a boyfriend or girlfriend to fit in. Uh, just try to be like them. But again, in order to make a difference, God has called us to be different. And so we cannot separate, we cannot assimilate. Uh, And so what many of us do, especially, and when I say us, I mean of our uh, Southern Independent Fundamental Baptist heritage, we know that we are supposed to be in the world and not of the world, but we don't know how to act in the world. We don't know how to respond in relationship to those who are lost. And so this is where uh, we often turn, and that is number three, we, we approach it with altercation. Again, this is, this is, this is going to hit home, okay? So bear with me. Um, this is our approach towards the world many, many times. Why? Because we know that we should be in the world, but we don't have the mind of Christ, so we do what we think is best, and we do what Jude says, and we contend for the faith, but we are contentious. We contend. We contend for the faith. Um, And this is what the world wants to see. We're willing to fight for our beliefs and our faith, but this is the problem because that's what the world wants to see. Um, You know, this is why boxing and UFC matches, why people will pay a ridiculous amount of money to watch two minutes of two guys hitting each other because the world likes to see fighting. The world likes to see altercation. They like to see confrontation and conflict. This is why when a natural disaster occurs um, and a Christian is going to be interviewed by the news media, that's why they put the guy on on TV that's like, oh yeah, this wouldn't have happened. It wasn't for the gays, hippies, and the liberals. Uh, Because that's what people want to see. They want to see that that confrontation. They want to see that conflict. Uh, This comes from those who live separated from meaningful relationships with those who don't know Christ. People who who do not have meaningful relationships with those that they are trying to share the gospel with. Uh, They don't know how to talk to others who don't believe or agree with them, and so their solution is just to argue, debate, or criticize. This is the wrong approach. Um, And and here's the thing. Let let me say this again, because I don't want you to hear what I'm not saying. I am all for preaching truth. Okay, listen to me. I am all for preaching the truth. Bible says proclaim the truth. I'm all for preaching the truth, and I am all for hard preaching of the truth. Straight, uh, let me have it. Okay? We sing a song, preacher, tell me like it is. I want, I want to hear it. Okay? I want to hear what is right and what is true. But it, as you look at Scripture... 
and you look at the example of Jesus, you will not find that kind of hard preaching coming from Scripture uh, to lost people. You realize that? You, you study the example of, of Jesus. Um, you study the example of the Apostle Paul. The hardest teaching and preaching that Jesus and the Apostle Paul will do is not to the lost world. Uh, the hardest teaching and preaching that they will do is for those who know better, who should be doing right and aren't doing it. Most of the time to believers or to a religious crowd. It's not to the lost world. Um, uh, listen, don't be surprised when an imperfect world is perfect. Or imperfect, excuse me. Don't be surprised when lost people be lost. Uh, it's, it's, that's the way that it is. Um, so what is the approach that we should have uh, to the world? And that is number four, it's transformation. This is the approach that we should have. Not separation where we completely remove ourselves from any meaningful relationships in the world. Not assimilation where we jump in and we try to be just like them. And not altercation where we know what's right, but we're going to try to force what is right on people who don't know any better. No, we need to have transformation. We need to try to have the right kind of relationships with them so that God can do a work in their lives. And that's what Daniel's going to do. That is Daniel's approach to transformation. He understood uh, that he was to be salt and light, called to make a difference by being different. And the reason why Daniel knew this is because he read his Bible. He read his Bible. Uh, Jeremiah, turn there, Jeremiah chapter number 29 with me. Jeremiah chapter number 29. We love this chapter. It's a great chapter for so many reasons. Verse number 11, you've read it, written it down, posted it on your social media story. It's a great, great verse. We love reading chapter number, or verse number 11. But the rest of the chapter is very important because Jeremiah is writing Jeremiah chapter number 29 to the people that have been taken captive in Babylon. He's writing it to Daniel and to his friends. He's writing it uh, to those who are there in Babylon, godly people from a godly land and a godly culture who have been taken to a godless land with godly people around them in a godless culture, and they don't know what to do. They don't know how to live. They don't know how to respond. See, when they were back in Israel, when they were in Jerusalem, if they were walking down the street and they had seen an idol to a false god, they would have known exactly what to do. They would have torn it down and gotten rid of it, and there would have been no questions asked. But now they're in a godless place where idolatry and wickedness is all around them and they don't know how to respond. And so God is making sure that they know how to approach it. They know how to make a difference. And so Jeremiah writes to them in Jeremiah chapter number 29. Look at verse number 4. Thus saith the Lord of hosts, the God of Israel, unto all that are carried away captives, whom I have caused to be carried away from Jerusalem into Babylon. Again, God reminding them that he's the reason why they're there. And can I remind you that wherever you are right now, whatever place you work, whatever place you go to school, whatever neighborhood you live in, you are there because he put you there. He put you there. You're there for a reason. And so look at verse number four, uh, the, uh, verse number five, excuse me. Build ye houses, and dwell in them, and plant gardens, and eat the fruit of them. Take ye wives, and beget sons and daughters, and take wives for your sons, and give your daughters to husbands, that they may bear sons and daughters, that, they, that ye may be increased there, and not 
diminish. What is Jeremiah saying to the people of Israel that are in Babylon right now? He says, I want you to assimilate into the lives of the worlds that you find yourself in. Don't assimilate to their ideologies and their beliefs. Don't assimilate uh, to their practices. But I want you to become a part of the world in which you live. I want you to live there. I want you to have a house. I want you to have a family. I want you to do what I've called you to do before and raise up children and new generations that will serve the Lord in this place that you are. And then verse number seven, and seek the peace of the city, whither I've caused you to be carried away captives and pray unto the Lord for it. Pray unto the Lord for it. For in the peace thereof, ye shall have peace. God says, I want you to seek transformation. Not altercation, the opposite of that, peace. Transformation. I want you to seek transformation where I have put you. And we know that Daniel read these writings. We know that he did, and he determined to make a difference. It's interesting because in verse number 10 of Jeremiah 29, it says, For thus saith the Lord, that after 70 years be accomplished at Babylon, I will visit you. 70 years. Okay, that's how long their captivity will last. Uh, but then in Daniel chapter 9 and verse 2, he quotes from it. Look at it. It says, In the first year of his reign, Daniel understood by books the number of the years where the word of the Lord came to Jeremiah the prophet that he would accomplish 70 years in the desolations of Jerusalem. So Daniel has read Jeremiah. And he said, This is what God has called me to do. To make a difference. To seek transformation. Now, you say, How does this apply to me? Okay? Because we read Daniel, we, we, we say that it is a handbook to seek transformation, to not endure but influence, to not just survive but to thrive in this world in which we find ourselves. So how does this apply to me? Uh, most people think that ministry work and influence for Christ takes place within a church program setting. Most people think that ministry work has to take place here. That it's done in a church building, on a scheduled church event, by paid or positional church leadership. Can I, can I remind you this? Okay? The work of ministry has been given to every believer, regardless of situation, circumstance, or life setting. You have been given the work of ministry. The work of ministry. You may not get paid for it. You may not have the same resources or time that someone like myself who, who is in full-time ministry gets paid for, but God has called you to the work of ministry. Where you are right now in your marketplace job or as a student in the classroom is where God wants you to be to do a work of ministry. I want you to understand that. Where you are right now is where God has called you to do ministry. Uh, he wants you to make a difference. Because you don't have to be a pastor. You don't have to be a Sunday school teacher. You don't have to be a deacon. You don't have to uh, be paid to do that through the ministry. Daniel didn't. Daniel was not in a religious position. You understand that? Daniel was not a pastor. Daniel was not an apostle. Daniel was not a disciple. Daniel was a political advisor to the president of Babylon. That was Daniel's position. And yet him to be an influence to the world around him. And as you study throughout history and throughout scripture, you will find that the majority of people that God uses to do the work of ministry to make a difference in the world is not done by people in paid ministry positions or in church leadership, but it is done by regular average people in marketplace jobs or in school somewhere who just decided that I'm going to make a difference for the cause of Christ. I am 
transformation in the world around me. Uh, throughout Scripture, we find that Abraham was a rancher. Joshua was a military general. Nehemiah was a personal assistant, assistant to his country's leader and later a commercial real estate developer. Esther was a woman in politics working to fight racial injustice. Peter was a fisherman. Paul was a tent maker. Luke was a doctor. Cornelius was an officer in the military. Lydia was a successful female business owner. Rahab was a working girl. No? Okay. All right. Thank you, guy. All right. I knew somebody would get it. Uh, you'll think about that later. Um, all of those people in marketplace jobs in positions that were not paid for ministry but decided that they were going to make a difference in the world around them now how did daniel do that all right this is where we want to spend the rest of our time how did daniel make sure that he could make a difference in the world around him and influence babylon well number one daniel avoided influence killers daniel avoided influence killers. He avoided things in his life and his relationship with the people around him that would not allow him to have influence. So what were they? Number one, Daniel avoided influence killer number one, a lack of respect. Daniel avoided a lack of respect. Now, again, I understand that we need to be bold and confident as believers. We need to know what we believe about God's Word, about truth, about his, what is right and what is wrong. We need to know why we believe it. We need to have convictions and have standards. But those standards, listen to me, those standards that we have for our lives, uh, and, and we'll have, many of us will have some of the same standards and convictions, but those standards need to be for us to stay close to God, not to enforce on somebody else who doesn't know any better. Those standards are for us to stay close to God, not to force on someone else, especially someone who is lost. Again, we mentioned this before, but we, we feel like Jude 1.3, I think many times, applies to us. Beloved, when I give all diligence to write unto you of the common salvation, it was needful for me to write unto you and exhort you that ye should earnestly contend for the faith which was once delivered unto all saints. But we, we, it says contend for the, don't be contentious. It says, contend for the faith, don't be contentious. And I think many times we look at that and think, well, that means that whenever I see something that's opposite of what I believe, then I need to punch somebody about it. Uh, I need to fight about it. I need to make sure everybody knows what I believe, and I need to make sure that they are convinced otherwise. No, that's not what that's talking about there. Contend is the same sporting terminology that's used as running a race. Okay? It's, it's sporting terms. It's like boxing. You're holding on to something that is yours. You're not forcing it on, on someone else. Uh, this is holding on to our faith and not giving it back, not trying to force our beliefs down someone's throat, especially someone who doesn't know Christ. Contend for the faith is when someone's trying to take it from you. And, and I think Daniel was practicing that because Daniel was not allowing Babylon to influence him. We looked at that two weeks ago. He was holding on to his faith. He was contending for his faith, but he was someone else around him who didn't know any better. Uh, we, we have to understand this, okay? Jude 17 says, Beloved, remember ye the words which were spoken before the apostles of our Lord Jesus, how that they told you that there should be mockers in the last time who should walk after their own ungodly lusts. Now remember, there will be imperfect people, and they will be imperfect, but... Look at verse number 21. Uh, Keep yourselves in the love of God, looking for the mercy of our Lord Jesus Christ unto eternal life. This is the goal, and if some have compassion... 
of some have compassion. If we're going to make a difference, making a difference, if we're going to, have, if we're going to make a difference, it's going to come from compassion, not contention. Making a difference comes from compassion, not contention. Uh, let me say this, okay? If you don't get one other thing this morning, get this, okay? Let me have your attention for 30 seconds and then go back to sleep. Uh, get this. Our influence with people will never be greater than our respect for people. Our influence with people will never be greater than our respect for people. Christians all the time. They say, I don't have any friends. They say, I, 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 I didn't get the promotion at work. I always get passed over. Nobody likes me. I'm being persecuted for my beliefs. No, you're getting persecuted probably because you're a jerk. That's, that's, that's where we stand. Okay? Uh, we don't have respect for people. Uh, and we need to. Have, Daniel had a, he he avoided a lack of respect. You can disagree with someone and still have a respectful conversation with that person. Uh, God has called us to a ministry of reconciliation with the lost world. Ministry of reconciliation. There is nothing in reconciliation that has a connotation that that we're going to get into a fight with them. It's all about restoration and peace. Um, there is no room for social media arguments or street corner shouting matches or protests or riots or anything that is contrary to the Spirit of Christ. We, we, we've got to avoid a lack of respect. Daniel, Daniel avoided a lack of respect. He answered the influence of Babylon with respect. And again, I'm not saying compromise your beliefs. Not at all. I'm not saying assimilate and, and, and be like those around you. No, I'm not saying that. But I'm saying we can have respect. We can have respect because Daniel did. Uh, look at Daniel chapter number one and verse number eight. And Daniel purposed in his heart that he would not defile himself with the portion of the king's meat nor with the wine which he drank. Daniel drew the line. We looked at that two weeks ago. He drew the line. He said, I'm, I'm not going to do this. This is one thing I cannot do. I'm not going to eat meat offered to idols. But look what he did. He said, therefore, he requested. Daniel did not have a protest. Uh, Daniel did not hold up a sign. Uh, Daniel did not have a walkout. Uh, Daniel, Daniel didn't make videos on social media why he wasn't going to eat this meat. No, Daniel went to the person that had control, he had respect, and he asked. And he had a solution. Because the guy, the prince of the eunuchs that was in charge of him was reasonably worried about it. He's like, look, you're going to cost me my life, let alone my job, Daniel, if this doesn't work out. He said, let's try for 10 days. Not three years, 10 days. Let's see if it works. And it worked. But Daniel requested. Uh, we read in Daniel chapter number 2. Nebuchadnezzar has a dream. We'll get to that here in just a minute. De Nebuchadnezzar has a dream. And Daniel is the one that's able to interpret it. And he, when he talks to Nebuchadnezzar, this is the guy that has caused him to be brought from his homeland. That has forced him to become Babylonian. That has done terrible things to him. Look how he addresses Nebuchadnezzar. Thou, O king, art a king of kings. For the God of heaven hath given thee a kingdom, power, and strength, and glory. Art a king of kings. Uh, chapter number four. We'll get to chapter number four here in a couple of weeks. Uh, if you know the story, Nebuchadnezzar goes crazy here. Uh, he's lifted up with pride. So God takes his mind from him. He goes insane. Before that, God sends a dream to, Daniel, or to Nebuchadnezzar to let him know this is going to happen if you keep going the way you're going. So Daniel comes in and interprets it for him again. And it's a bad thing. It's a bad thing for Nebuchadnezzar. And when Daniel figures out, when God gives him the interpretation for the dream, you know, if I'd have been, if I'd have been Daniel, I'd have been, oh, buckle up now. But that's not how Daniel responded. 
Daniel chapter number 4 and excuse me, verse number 19. Then Daniel, whose name was Belteshazzar, was astonished for one hour, and his thoughts troubled him. And the king spake and said, Belteshazzar, let not the dream or the interpretation thereof trouble thee. Belteshazzar answered and said, My lord, the dream be to them that hate thee and the interpretation thereof to thy enemies. Daniel said, Belteshazzar, or Nebuchadnezzar, I wish that what is about to happen to you would happen to somebody else. The respect that Daniel had. Daniel avoided a lack of respect. Number two, Daniel avoided a lack of wisdom. A lack of wisdom. A lack of wisdom. How did Daniel do this? Okay, listen to me very carefully. Daniel differentiated between what was sinful and what was offensive. Daniel differentiated between what was sinful and what was offensive. Again, Please listen very carefully and do not hear what I am not saying. I am not saying that we should compromise and not have standards or convictions about certain Bible principles in our lives. But if it is not eternity or the core doctrines of Scripture or salvation, then when it comes to trying to influence someone around us and share the gospel, we had better be real careful about making it a hill worth dying on. Daniel avoided a lack of wisdom. Some of us may need to have higher standards than others to keep from sin, and that's okay. To keep us close to God and to keep us right. But those standards should not be what keeps us from being able to share the gospel with someone. Should not. Daniel, again, Daniel had a line. Daniel drew a line. There was something that Daniel would not do. He, he would not eat that meat that was offered to idols, uh, and Daniel was not willing to cross that line. Why? Because that would be Daniel actively disobeying an Old Testament law that was given to him and his people. Daniel would not do that. That would be Daniel actively sinning. But, listen to this, Daniel knew the difference, again, between what was sinful and what was only offensive to him. Uh, look at Daniel 1 again in verse number 20. Daniel is being... Or look at verse number 4, excuse me, first. Because when Daniel's brought to Babylon, he's going to be taught something. Children in whom is no blemish, but well-favored, and skillful in all wisdom and cunning and knowledge and understanding science, and such as had ability in them to stand in the king's palace, and whom they might teach the learning and the tongue of the Chaldeans. The learning of the Chaldeans. That's very important. Verse 20. In all manners of wisdom and understanding, the king inquired of them. He found them ten times better than all the magicians and astrologers that were in all his realm. So... The learning of the Chaldeans, magicians and astrologers, there's something that's all combined here. Look at Daniel chapter 2 and look at verse number 2. Then the king commanded to call the magicians and astrologers and sorcerers and the Chaldeans for to show the king his dream. So they came and stood before the king. And so we, we see here in chapter number 1 that Daniel and his friends are learning the ways of the Chaldeans. We see magicians and astrologers at the end of the chapter. And in verse number 2 of what we just read, we see that they're all listed together. And Chaldeans are a part of that. Right? Uh, Chaldeans were originally from the area Chaldea, which is what is at this time in history was currently Babylon. Uh, now those that are called Chaldeans, though, were known for their study of witchcraft and the occult. So Daniel and his friends are being forced to learn about magic and sorcery and astrology and witchcraft and the occult. But listen, okay? Daniel knew scripture said not to practice it, but never said anything about whether or not he could hear someone teach it. 
Daniel, Daniel knew not to practice it. Daniel knew not to be a part of it. But there was nothing that said Daniel couldn't hear someone teach it. Uh, he didn't fight it. Daniel sat in the classes. He learned. He was ten times better than anybody else. He learned. Uh, he took the tests. He wrote the reports. He didn't believe it. He didn't adopt that ideology as his own. But it wasn't enough to fight over. Daniel, Daniel, he doesn't ever fight what he's supposed to learn. He doesn't ever fight the classes that he's supposed to take. Uh, Daniel is willing to be a part of that, but he's not going to compromise uh, what he believes. Uh, here's another thing. Because whenever Daniel is addressed by Nebuchadnezzar or another king, how do they address him? They address him with his Babylonian name, Belteshazzar. And we know that Daniel doesn't like that. We looked at it two weeks ago that if you study in the original Hebrew or the original Chaldean, that uh, Daniel misspells it, like on purpose. Like, I could care less about this name, so I'm just going to put whatever name I feel like down. Uh, but whenever they address him as such, whenever Nebuchadnezzar addresses him like this, whenever uh, Nebuchadnezzar's son Belshazzar addresses him like this, Daniel doesn't correct them. Daniel doesn't, doesn't stop them. He doesn't say, excuse me, my name is Daniel. Thank you. Excuse me, that's not my... Daniel has wisdom. Daniel knew that Scripture said nothing about what name other people call you. And so Daniel operated with a lack... Uh, or did he avoided a lack of wisdom. Now, I'm not saying that we participate. I'm not saying we believe. I'm not saying we condone or accept. I'm not saying we do or say or think. What I am saying is that we need discernment to know where the line needs to be drawn and where it is only our pride that will keep us from being an influence. So let me say this as we, as we wrap up here, okay? Um, wherever God has put you right now, use where you are to be an influence for His glory. Use where you are to be an influence for His glory, to make a difference. Wherever you are right now, whatever job that you work, okay, whether you're a mechanic or you work in a hospital or, or, or you teach uh, or you're a salesman, whatever you do, you're in the military, we need you to kill it where you are. Okay? We need you to kill it. We need you to do the best that you can, be the best employee that you can be. If you're a student, we need you to kill it in class right now. Okay? All A's or B's or C's, whatever, you, uh, whatever killing it is for you, uh, we need you to kill it. We need you to do the absolute best. We need you to have respect for the people that are around you. We need you to have wisdom to interact with the people that are around you. Why? Because God has put you there, like Daniel, to make a difference. Your calling is not to get a paycheck. Your calling is to make disciples. And that's what God has called us to do. Daniel, this is the last thing there on your handout. Daniel became an influence for God's kingdom through integrity, excellence, and love. Integrity, excellence, and love. We don't, we don't have time to, to really go into it, but Daniel chapter number 2, which is what we were supposed to talk about today, uh, Daniel chapter number 2 is, starts out with Nebuchadnezzar having a dream. Nobody can interpret the dream. He calls all of his wise men and astrologers, everybody that's supposed to be able to interpret the dream. And he says, guys, I can't remember it, so I want you to tell me what the dream was, first of all, and then I want you to interpret it for me. And these guys are all like, uh, a dream that was given by God cannot be interpreted by the spirit of Babylon. So these guys have no idea what they're going to do. So Nebuchadnezzar is going to kill all of them. He's like, well, you guys are good for nothing. So he's going to kill all of them, including Daniel and his three friends. But because Daniel has opted wisdom, Daniel is able to say, uh, excuse me, can we pause that for just a second? <laughs> can I have a chance? 
can I, can, I, can I try to interpret this? And he's given a reprieve so that he and his three friends can go seek the mind of God, get the interpretation for the dream, and then come back and interpret it for the king. Do it the right way. Be like Daniel. Have respect. Have integrity. Work with excellence. Serve with love. You'll have a chance to influence. We don't even have a chance to get into all of this that I have left, but uh, we'll talk about this later. But, but Daniel was there to make Babylon was trying to influence him, but Daniel was aware of that and said, nope, I'm not here just to endure. I'm not here just to survive. I'm here to thrive and influence where I am. And so wherever you are, kill it. Man, be the best that you can be for the glory of God to be an influence for the gospel.